The flight deck is made possible by the generous donors supporting the Museum of Flight. You can support this podcast and the Museum of Flight's other initiatives across the United States and the world by visiting museumofflight.org slash podcast. Hello and welcome to The Flight Deck, the podcast of the Museum of Flight in Seattle, Washington. I am your host, Sean Mobley. When you step foot into the museum's glass-walled Great Gallery, you're first greeted by the Boeing Model 40B, one of the most important aircraft in history. Next to the Model 40, humble in appearance, stands a faceless female mannequin. This mannequin represents Jane Eads, a person largely forgotten to history. She became the first transcontinental commercial air passenger, and her description of the trip helped ignite the public's imagination and open the skies for millions of passengers today. I sat down with one of our docents, Zandria Hopper, to follow Jane on her adventure in Jane's own words. When you're standing at the exhibit for the Model 40B, there is a lovely mannequin, and she's dressed in period dress from the 20s, and she's easy to overlook because maybe it's just a prop. But she actually represents a 21-year-old journalist from the time who flew the mail route on that plane between Chicago and San Francisco. And she did her flight in 1927, and it took a whopping 22 hours to make that flight. And now, compared to today's standards, what, we're on a plane for three and a half hours. And she wrote a lovely piece, actually a couple of pieces for the newspapers. And her name was Jane Eads, and she started the story out for us. Listen to this. She says, four times during the long trip, too interesting to seem perilous, I changed planes, and four pilots relieved each other in the arduous flight over the prairies, deserts, mountains, and scores of cities. The plane, as good as it is, couldn't make a trip from Chicago in one go. No, it really couldn't uh, for a lot of reasons, probably the most important of which was fuel. They didn't have the tank capacity and, of course, the efficiency that we have with our jets now to make that journey. And aviation was still very young and, at the time, fairly unproven. And it turns out that the U.S. Post Office had a large hand in advancing aviation technology and making it a viable enterprise, not only for the transport of mail and information, but also of people. Boeing won the contract to fly the mail between Chicago and San Francisco by a landslide when Boeing changed over to uh, fit his planes with a Pratt & Whitney Wasp radial engine. It was air-cooled. He saved, you know, 200 pounds and could then, instead of carrying all that gear and radiator equipment, he was able to translate it, that into cargo, and he was able to carry mail. He carried 1,200 pounds of mail, and the plane was also outfitted, uh, as Jane Eads would suggest, to fly two or four passengers, depending on the configuration. So, essentially, Jane Eads, as the passenger, was not a secondary thought, but but kind of along for the ride on what was a mail route. Was this a dangerous trip? Was she taking her life into her own hands by doing this? You know, when we uh, read her articles, she alternates between 
fear and terror and absolute wonder. One of her more poetic comments was actually about the engine when she said, directly in front of me is the secret of the speed and safety. It's the Pratt & Whitney Wasp nine-cylinder air-cooled motor that is used in all 25 Boeing planes now in operation on the Chicago to San Francisco route. Pilot Ira O. Biffle, the man who, by the way, gave Slim Lindbergh his first lesson on aviation controls, shouted a few words to surrounding mechanics. The huge motor roared to life as it began developing its more than 400 horsepower. We swung out blithely and sped onward, making 95 miles per hour. It was the most exhilarating feeling I've experienced in all my life. And that's that type of writing characterized the first probably two-thirds of her flight. It was the last bit where they're flying over quite a bit of mountains that the the pilot did say, this is going to be the, the scariest that you'll experience because <laughs> they are flying at, they can't fly above the weather, they can't fly below the weather, so they kind of have to just persevere through it. Very bumpy. And of course, there's no way to communicate with the pilot. She's in a passenger cabin and he's out behind her outside <laughs> and no means of communication between the two. So she really had to stick it out. Now, when I say passenger cabin, that conjures up images of first-class plush seats and bathrooms and it's funny, flight you know, attendants. Exactly. You know, it's 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 funny. She described it as luxury, uh, luxurious. <laughs> and, you know, if we got to- Looking a, at it, I would not <laughs> agree. No, no. I, and I, I agree with you on that one. That is completely true. The plane itself, if you're looking at it from the side- Not very big, first of all. Was, no, it's not very big. It's a biplane. And it's got this huge radial engine mounted on the front. And right behind the engine compartment is the passenger compartment. It's not very big. It's difficult to get in and out of. Of course, there was no pressurization at the time. And so you were really at the mercy of the altitude that you're flying in. You're also at the mercy of the temperature. We didn't have insulation or any kind of temperature controls. Uh, it was not comfortable, but she was comfortable enough. And and the only thing she said that she wished was that she had packed more lunch for herself. She had had and was really wishing for a cup of coffee, but she would have to wait until their next landing in order to get that need satisfied. And behind the passenger compartment was where all the mail was carried. And then behind that was the pilot and he was sitting outside. The best part about Jane Eads is that she was the first passenger to fly on a passenger mail route. And she was a woman and this young 21 year old. And, and she ended up writing so beautifully about the journey when she's describing flying, when she can see the stars. And she says, the stars are out now. There are millions of them sprinkled about the heavens. The sky is much lighter than the earth, which looks vaguely sinister. I feel uncertain as to the depths the darkness below seems to hold. And if I were falling, I'd rather fall up than down. We are flying higher than at any time since we started. Beacon lights here and there along the route are leading us on. They are lighting the way to a new era. I I love that Jane captures a feeling that I think anybody who's flown in a plane at night can really understand. You bet. And looking down into this kind of abyss, I really like the way she characterizes it as vaguely sinister. Yeah. And we know on the ground that we're not sinister, but from that vantage point, 
And having never seen the landscape from that view is quite something. And when there are lights, she it's fascinating. She says, we have just passed Des Moines. Can you imagine a city of lights and no buildings? All we can see from the air are millions of sparkling lights. The sight is indescribable. To me, it looked like an empress in black velvet coronation robes, studded with myriad diamonds. I'll never forget the sight. I love how in one turn she's talking about the vague, sinister sense that she gets by looking out at this dark abyss below. And then in the next paragraph, she's talking about this empress with, you know, diamond-encrusted robes. It's just, it's just fantastic. Yes. I would also offer that she set the stage for enthusiasm and interest in aviation as more than a novelty and a curiosity by using the words that she did to garner interest and create this sense of wonder that really was flight and how many people had had that experience. Not many when you look at the population of the of the country at the time. And so this was 27. 1927. Which was the same year of Lindbergh's flight. Lindbergh mania and aviation was suddenly whew, thrust to the, I mean, in a way that I think is really hard to capture in words today. Maybe imagine the news of we get to Mars, but in a world where we don't have any other entertainment to distract us. So everybody <laughs> is paying attention to this. And that That's right. Despite the popularity of Lindbergh, was flight still a pretty dangerous prospect? It absolutely was because it's almost like in railroad terms, building the tracks as the train is coming, barreling down. Right. And having this beautiful article written, like you said, really helped demystify or at least make people feel a little more comfortable with the concept of a passenger flying. Well, what she did is she really enabled people to picture themselves in that same seat that she was in because her words were so accessible and relatable and evocative um, to the point where people might pause and take notice and wonder a little bit more and maybe even spark the interest of younger people as they're thinking about, well, what do I want to work in when I grow up? And how is this going to, how is this going to look and work? Um, and she just had a way, as you said before, with words to make that very captivating. Listen to how she describes flying over the mountains. She says, I never dreamed my first glimpse of the mountains would be from above looking down. I had only hoped to stand humbly at their feet and look longingly to their heights. We are higher in the air than we have ever been, and I feel it. So her first glimpse of the mountains, I imagine, you know, being in Chicago, it's not a hugely mountainous area, not like it is out here. And then having this look at the majesty of the Rockies, I just can't even fathom what that must have been like for her. Jane really captures the wonder of first time, first experience with something as marvelous as looking down on the mountains at a time when no one looked down on the mountains unless you climbed them. Right. And even then, you got to climb a really tall one. <laughs> yes, you do. Absolutely. Are there any other words that she wrote in her article that resonate with you? She did. There are a couple of closing passages that I thought were were really beautiful. Speaking of the mountains, when she says... Down below are foothills that I would never have attempted to climb had I been walking. They look like tiny laughing ripples on the surface of untroubled old earth from here. We're out in God's country now and no man's land. How lonely it seems. But then, 
The hills have time for contemplation on the remarkable changes that are flashing across our civilization. Certainly they must take man seriously when he flies nonchalantly so far above their heights in a machine of his own invention and construction. So dignified and solemn they stand. Remarkable. Remarkable. How did passenger travel change after this flight? What, what were the next steps? Because the post office was so adamant about regular service and on-time, predictable delivery, that really helped solidify aviation's potential to do what the railroads had been already doing for decades, uh, guaranteeing that people could get from point A to point B in a certain amount of time. And mail service became more and more reliable. The idea of carrying passengers could really take root. And then an article like the one that Jaden Eads wrote could articulate the, the potential. And, you know, less than a, way less than a decade later, we have the Model 80A was designed with passenger comfort in mind. And it was a plane that was to fly that mail route, CAM 18, between Chicago and San Francisco. But it was specifically designed to not only carry mail, but to carry passengers. What legacy do you think Jane leaves for people today? She is an inspiration as a woman uh, in a very male-dominated world, both in journalism and in early aviation. She had a very clear-eyed yet open view of what she was experiencing and could translate that into words that were inviting for people. And I know that as a reader... I love to be transported to a different place, a different time. I think that's why this story is so interesting to me, because what she was able to put down on paper really is timeless. And I think her legacy is one of courage and bravery and foresight and joy. Well, Zandria, thank you so much for sharing your story and also Jane's story in her own words. Thank you, Sean. It's my pleasure being here. Thank you for tuning in to this episode of The Flight Deck, the podcast of the Museum of Flight in Seattle, Washington. Zandria is a docent on Sundays and would love to share more about Jane Needs and the Model 40. So if you are ever at the museum on a Sunday, stop over and say hi. You can see the Model 40 for yourself anytime in the museum's great gallery. And pro tip, you can see a second Model 40 in the red barn exhibits and this is a model 40 frame that's still under construction so you can see the inside of the airplane if you like what you heard please subscribe to the podcast to stay up to date with our episodes and rate and review us on apple podcasts or wherever you downloaded us from you can contact the show at podcast at museumofflight.org and until next time this is your host sean mobley saying we'll see you out there folks folks